Hagiga Chafdala Damud Beis and Chafeya Madalif. Separation and respect. We have a difficult Mishnah. Sometimes we come across Gemorahs that are really difficult. In fact, all Gemorah is difficult if we really get into them. If we find the Gemorah easy to understand, then we haven't really grappled with it. Gemorah is constructed in such a way that it requires us to work through it so that the process of learning is not informational, but developmental. It allows us to reprogram the way we think. It allows us to develop our intellectual and spiritual and emotional muscles, so to say, in such a way that we begin to see the world and understand and analyze and innovate and extrapolate the way the Torah does. But that's only through the practice of applying one's mind and one's thought, both left and right brain, thinking analytically and intuitively to understanding a piece of Gemara. Uh, it's a little bit like going to the gym and working out and saying, I found that easy. But if you found that easy, you actually didn't work out. It didn't do anything for you. You can check it off your list and say, I went to the gym today, but it didn't do anything for you. It's the struggle that actually builds the capacity and the muscle. And so it is the struggle of understanding Gomorrah that builds the capacity uh, to think in a Talmudic way, to think in a way uh, that is accordance with the Torah. So we're used to finding Gomorrah difficult, but sometimes we come across Gomorrahs where we just feel that we don't have the instruments with which to make sense of it. And that's a different category altogether. And we've got one of those examples in our piece of Gomorrah today. In fact, it's built on a mission at the bottom of Chavdalad, and uh, it continues through through Chavhei. Uh, and we're dealing here with uh, Truma and, and uh, Kodesh and Tuma and Tara. These are things we're not familiar with because we're not, we don't practice them today. But the pieces of Gomorrah we've been learning about has been, have been talking about the difference in severity between the laws of Tuma and Tara, the laws of purity and impurity that apply to Kodesh, items of food that have been set aside to be brought on the Mizbeach, and here we're dealing primarily with wine and, and oil, which were the, uh, the key agricultural products of that time in Mishnaic Israel, uh, up in the, in the Galil, if one goes to visit there now, at the ancient science, you see the wine presses and the, uh, and, and the olive presses, that's what they did. So we're talking for the purposes of example, we're talking about olive oil and wine, uh, and the laws of Tum and Tara with respect to Kodesh, if one has dedicated a barrel of oil or wine to be used for the Nisachim, the wine pouring, or for the Menachot, the oil that is used on certain flower offerings, if we um, dedicate that for use in the Beit HaMikdash, that's called Kodesh. Or we sometimes dedicate that to be given as Truma for the Kohen. That's the tithe that we have to give to the Kohen. In either case, by dedicating them in such a way, we're elevating their status of Kedushah, and therefore they have to be protected from Tum'ah, from any kind of spiritual defilement. And the Mishnah tells us that there are examples where Chomer B'Truma, where the laws of Tum'ah and Tahara regarding Truma'ah, that which is going to be given to a Kohen, are more stringent than the laws that apply to Kodesh, that which is going to be used in the Beit HaMikdash itself. Um, and it gives uh, this example. If somebody comes from Yehuda, from the central uh, lower areas of Israel, uh, and there are discussions why that area particularly, which is not relevant for now. Uh, if a person comes from there and declares the, that their wine or, or oil is free from impurity, it is tahor. We believe them as far as 
Kodesh is concerned, any time of the year that somebody comes to the Beit HaMikdash, uh, even if he is an Amaharet and a person who is unlearned, doesn't know the laws, and he brings a barrel of wine to the Beit HaMikdash saying it is Tahor, we accept it. However, as far as Truma is concerned, we don't accept it any time of the year, only during the time of production, while wine or oil is being pressed and produced. At that time, if an Amha'aret, an ordinary person, brings a barrel of wine or of oil to a Kohen and says, this is Truma, I would like you to accept it, then we can only accept it at the time of production. But once the season of production has passed, and a Kohen Amha'aretz, an, an uneducated, sorry, an Israel, an ordinary person, Amha'aretz, one who is uneducated, brings to the Kohen a barrel of truma, the Kohen, who is a Talmud Chacham, should not receive that. He should not accept it, that barrel, because we're afraid it might have come into contact with something Tameh, that the Amha'aretz was not careful enough in protecting it from Tumah. And here's the surprising part where the advice given to the Amharit, this is the farmer now who has the, the wine or the oil and he wants to give it to the Kohen. The Kohen says, I'm sorry, I could have accepted this from you if you had brought it during the period of production. When everybody's very careful about Tuma and Tara, they're talking about it, they're watching about it. There's a culture of Tuma and Tara in the production centers. And I would assume that everything has been protected properly. But if it's some months after that, I don't know where this has been and where it is, what it has come into contact with, and therefore I cannot accept it from you. But he can take it back, the, the um, person, the farmer, can take his wine or oil back to his house, store it until the next production season, and bring that same barrel of wine back to the Kohen. And at that time, the Kohen can, can use it, even though he's using the very same barrel that he had to reject a few weeks earlier or a few months earlier. What has changed in the barrel? It's the same barrel. Uh, so we see here that there are, are different gezerot. The Chachamim applied the laws of Tuma differently. So this is not a situation where there is an empirical reason, an empirical reason for there to be Tuma. It's the Rabbanan treated. The rabbis require that the Kohen treats it as Tumah, treats it as if it has come into contact with impurity. But they've made this requirement only during the normal times of the year, not during the time of the year where there's a lot of concern and care about Tumah and Tahara. What's interesting, though, is that having rejected the barrel at first, he can accept the, that very same barrel later on. And it gets even more complicated than that because Tosfer says that's even if he recognizes the barrel and he knows that's the very same barrel you brought to me some months ago and I had to reject, I can now accept. And even further, Tosfer brings from deducing from the Gemara on, on Daf Chafhe that if the Talmud Chacham Kohen, if this Kohen is a, a scholarly person, did accept the barrel for some reason, and now he realizes, oh my goodness, this barrel has come from a season that is not the production season and therefore I shouldn't really be accepting it. He can put it away until the production season. And then he can use that very same barrel that he couldn't use earlier. He now can use it during the production season at a time where Tuma and Tyra is in the air again, where people are talking about it and they're uh, acclimat acclimated to it and uh, the culture is one of Tuma and Tyra. Then he, then he can do it. 
And this is an example of where our instruments of understanding seem to fail us. How can a barrel which was permitted during a certain period of time becomes prohibited during a few months later, and then that same barrel becomes permitted later on again when there's been no change in the status of the barrel, nothing's happened with the barrel to, to create the situation at all. What is that about and how does that happen? I think what we see here, perhaps to try and develop some, some level of understanding, is that this is not a situation where we're discussing the relationship between the Kohen and the barrel of wine and oil. If that were being discussed, there couldn't be all this flip-flopping backwards and forwards. We're discussing the relationship between the Kohen Talmud Chacham, the Kohen who is wise and learned, and the Amharitz who is, is not learned and schooled at all. And there are lots of examples in the Gemara where there is a requirement that some distance is placed between the Talmud Chacham and the Amharitz. And Amaaretz, it's not just that he doesn't have the information of the Torah, it's a way of thinking and a way of being. Somebody whose mind is not developed in Torah sees the world differently, interprets the world differently, understands it differently, explains it differently. And we need to create a certain distance. The Talmud Chacham doesn't want his mind to be influenced by that thinking, by becoming too intimate and close with with Amaratzim. So we want to create that kind of social distance between the Talmud Chacham and the Amaretz, but we want to do it in a way that is not offensive to the Amaretz. This is not about superiority. It's, it's not about aloofness. It's about separateness. And we want to do that. We want to create that sense of separateness without creating a sense of exclusion uh, on the part of the, of the Amaretz. And, and here we see how to do it. So the Amaretz brings the barrel of wine to the Kohen. The Kohen immediately has to take his mind into the laws of Tumah and Tara. He can't become too engrossed in the intimacy with the Amharats. It's not a social occasion. Immediately, while he's socializing with this Amharats, while he's busy receiving a gift from him, at that very moment, his mind is occupied with the complex world of the laws of Tumah and Tara. And he needs to come to a decision. And his decision might be, I can't accept this at the moment. And then he has a choice. He can either explain that to the Amharits and ask the Amharits to keep it for him until later, or he can accept it himself, as Tosfat says, and and put it away in his own storeroom and, and use it later on. What's important is that he appreciates in his own mind that there is a barrier between myself and this Amharits. I don't need the Amharits to see that barrier. I don't need to make the Amharits feel offended or excluded in any way. I can accept the gift, but I can't use the gift until the next time that we're into the production season. And that's not because the production season is going to change the status of the barrel, but it changes the way Chazal want me to relate to the gift that I received as Truma from that particular Amharitz. There are times when I can accept that gift and times when I can't. But what's important is that my mind is working on the halachot my mind is engrossed in the Torah of Tumah and Tyro. My mind is not engrossed in, in, in my buddy, the Amaretz, and, and spending time with him necessarily and, and possibly being influenced by him, but rather keeping my own purity of mind uh, without in any way offending him. And we see from here that the, the ability one sometimes does have a need to separate oneself from certain people, but that doesn't mean that one has to give them any sense of exclusion. There are ways to keep one's own identity 
to keep one's own separateness because Bilam said that about the Jewish people. We know how to keep ourselves separate, but that doesn't mean we don't engage. That doesn't mean we make other people feel excluded. And so within the Jewish people itself, the Kohanim are separate from the others and, and there are laws of separation. And there are laws of separation between men and women. And there are laws of separation between the Talmud Chacham and Alam Haaretz. These identities need to be preserved. And to preserve them, one has to avoid total uh, abandonment in the mixing, in the social mixing and the intimacy that can occur, and establish certain structures and rules. But to do it in a way that doesn't make people feel excluded. And the method to do that is to utilize the mind. The mind can be anywhere you want it to be. And while your body is doing one thing, your mind can be in another in another world and you can integrate the worlds or not as you please. And so you can be engaging with an Amaretz in a way that is engaging and the Amaretz feels respected and honored. Yet in your mind, you understand there is a difference, there is a barrier uh, that, that one needs to appreciate and, and that one needs to observe. And so with all the cases where we need to keep our identity, whether it's Jews or Kohanim, or men or women. There are ways to keep our identity using our knowledge and our mind and our awareness of who we are and what laws govern us and what our levels of Kedusha are, our levels of sanctity. Keeping that in our mind as we engage in a normal and healthy way so that the people around us feel our warmth, our respect and our honor and our sense of inclusiveness while in our own minds we understand exactly where the differences of, between people lie and preserve our identity and theirs.